0: a business already or you're thinking about starting a business but you're worried about the money situation bootstrapping your own business is an option but it can be scary at the same time and you're not even sure how much money you're going to actually need to start your business well with our next guest neha she is the founder of om which is a fashion line and we'll get more into that in the interview but i really want you to pay attention because she really breaks down how she herself bootstrapped her fashion line from her savings so pay attention for all of those wanting to start their own business but not sure how to find the cash Slay Nation welcome back to another episode of the So she Slays podcast. I'm your lovely host Heather and I'm here with Neha founder of OM. OM uh, is a different type of clothing brand. It actually specializes for women who have the hourglass shape and uh, I don't know if anybody can relate to me on this on this at all. I mean I know, now I can because she's the one that created Om. but um I am 5'1 and I am built exactly like an hourglass and finding things that fit are ridiculous but not only is Om, you know focusing in on this niche but you bootstrapped this whole clothing brand by yourself so before we yeah. dive into this full-on interview go ahead and, and introduce yourself to our audience Thanks so much uh, for having
1: me, Heather. Um, Yeah, so as you mentioned, my name's Neha. I'm the founder of Aum, which is the first label ever to cater exclusively to women with hourglass shapes. So we launched with a line of trousers uh, in the spring that sit really snug at the waist with more room for hips and thighs. And exactly like you mentioned, for us girls who have, you know, curvier bottoms, there's just nothing on the market that seems to fit us correctly. Um, And we can talk more about why that is and and why brands, you know, choose to sort of focus on the mass market rather than focusing in on niches. Uh, And yes, as you mentioned, the entire company has been bootstrapped from my savings. So it was a long journey to get here. I haven't taken any outside investment um, and it's challenging at times, but it
0: comes with its own set of
1: rewards. So I'm happy to talk through that.
0: Oh my gosh. Right. Okay. So I know that there's a lot of business owners who, um, listen to this podcast and, or who are thinking about maybe starting their own business and bootstrapping and coming from your savings. Like that has to be scary. Let alone, like, I mean, do you have a background in actually starting a fashion line at all, or let alone a company?
1: No, I have no background in starting any companies. This was my
0: first startup. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So how scary? On top of that, um, let's start a little bit from the beginning and and talk about you know how you were actually able to do this, and then how do you go about finding you know how to to do the steps? You know, I mean, because like a a lot of people have no idea how this even starts. Right.
1: Yeah. So um, I think there's sort of two pieces to this. The first one is. Um, you know, figuring out the idea that you wanna pursue and say it's a fashion label, say it's something in in the fashion space and understanding what are the steps that it takes to make that a reality. Um, I was lucky in that I had a background in consumer, not in fashion, but I at least had worked for, I used to work for Minted. Um, And so I launched new products for them all the time. So I understood just as, you know, sort of a base level, You need to get raw materials. You need to find a factory that's going to produce your products. You need to third-party test and audit. I understood sort of what the steps were. Um, And then the next step, so once you've figured out, you know, what the process is, the biggest thing I would recommend to anyone who's thinking about bootstrapping is to really make a financial plan. And I know that that can seem really intimidating, especially if you don't have a business background, but what I'm talking about is sort of a rough, and you can find templates Blitz for this online just a rough plan of how much you think everything is going to cost so say for example you're launching a fashion label you know for a fact you need raw materials you're going to need labor someone who's actually cutting and sewing your pieces. Um, You're going to need to pay for shipment to get your product from wherever it's getting produced to wherever you're planning to fulfill from. Um, maybe you want I mean, definitely you want to get testing done. so you want to make sure that your products uh, will wash in the washing machine, for example, or that they're safe. The dyes are safe. So they're third party testing companies, packaging, um, all marketing, all of the different costs that go into you know, having a fashion line, and you should roughly plan out how much these things are gonna cost you. And I did it on like a monthly basis. So how much money am I expecting to spend? per month for the next say one year or 18 months. And these are all values you can estimate just by Googling around. So you can roughly figure out, you know, what is the per meter cost of cotton? What is the you know, labor cost in X country? Things like that. Um, so that's sort of like your business financial plan and then layer on top of that, what are your personal costs for the next year and a half, right? You gotta pay rent, you gotta eat food. Like how much are you planning on spending every month? and sort of figure out, okay, so for the next 12 to 18 months, here's how much it's going to cost me to launch this business. And then add maybe like a 15% buffer on top of that because things never go according to plan and you're never gonna hit your costs exactly the way you wanna hit them. So add a buffer. So now you've got like a rough understanding of how much things are gonna cost and you can sort of match that up with your savings and see, okay, do I have enough to cover me for the next 12 to 18 months. If you have just enough, I would say, it's probably just to be safe, maybe try supplementing with a secondary source of income. So if you are able to freelance on the side, um, if you're able to do consulting work on the side. So anything where you can kind of give yourself, like you're not just breaking even, but you have a little bit of buffer. If you're in that place financially, I would say you are ready to bootstrap your business, if you're not in that place financially, all hope is not lost. Um, and I think there's actually a lot of investment options that are not discussed very publicly. Uh, especially, I'm from I'm from the Bay Area, and the the most common you know conversation that I was having was you should go seek investment, you should go raise money. Um, And it didn't make sense for a business like mine that was a fashion label and it was a small business and I was intending to grow it very slowly and intentionally. So some other ways of raising money are you can apply for grants so there's tons of small business and women in business grants that are available, they give you anywhere from like five to $25,000 in a stretch. Um, There are also once you have inventory you might qualify for loans from the bank or other federal loans because they look for, you know, some kind of assets that you can use as collateral. So you might qualify for loans. So there are a number of ways where you can kind of like, if you don't have all of the money saved up, you can then supplement. But the important thing is that you have that financial plan ahead of time.
0: So you understand how much you need in addition. No, that's, I mean, and that's, I feel like that's anything, you know, we talk a lot here on, you know, um, so about, financial stuff and planning and kind of being prepared as much as you can. Um, I love the fact that you brought up grants, because I think that's a lot of um, there's a lot out there that is definitely underused. So I know a lot of people it's like, well, if I just go to Google and I say, oh, women in business grants, like so many things pop up and a lot of it has nothing to do with grants itself. So how were you able to find the grants?
1: Yeah, so um, it does take a little bit of digging and searching. And I do think Google is a great place to start. Um, I would, if you are an American citizen, which I'm actually not, but if you are an American citizen, um, there are a number of government and federal websites that are really like strong place to start, where they have sort of programs that they've been running for years and they run very religiously for years. So I would probably start with those government sites first. Um, The other thing that I would consider looking at is um, there are companies that um, I would call them like aggregators. So there are pages where they have aggregated grants um, and they just have like a long list of them with very basic criteria written next to them. So you can quickly browse through and see, okay, out of these like 50 grants, I might qualify for 10 and then click into each of those grants and check the criteria very closely. I totally hear you on like some of those grants, you think they sound great. And then you look at, they've got like 50 criteria and you're like, okay, I don't qualify for them.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of people too don't really understand. I mean, did you apply for grants yourself? Did you go about that route?
1: I didn't need to uh, for the launch, but I might be doing it for the second collection. Yes.
0: And I mean, I know we're kind of segueing in here, but as far as writing or filling out grants and all that kind of stuff, you know, I think people get intimidated because I mean, there is such a thing as a grant writer, like that's actually a job for some people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, if you've explored this Avenue at all, like what, what are some things that you found or maybe that you're like, okay, maybe I do need to hire a grant writer. or Hey, I can actually do this myself. What are some things that you're running into? or you, do you even know? Cause you're still like trying to figure that out, right?
1: Yeah, I haven't. Um, I mean, I haven't applied for, for grants for my business yet, um, but I can speak to um, just sort of grant writing more broadly. So I have a number of friends. I, I studied science in undergrad and grant writing is a very normal part of um, doing research in science. I have a number of friends who've also applied for them. Um, I would say a few things. The first is I um, Try to don't don't feel like you need to box yourself into one or two Um, apply to as many as you can and don't feel sort of. um, Don't get discouraged if you if you get rejected, the grant application game is much is very much about you know it's it's highly competitive because it's free money they're not taking any equity in, in your company. Um, And so don't get disheartened if you're not, if you don't get one, you can apply to as many, as many as you qualify for. The other thing I would say um, is that grant writing, it's not an art, but there is sort of like a very specific set of things that they do look for Um, there are really helpful books and resources on this i have uh, a couple but i don't remember them off the top of my head i'm happy to share them after the podcast Um, but there are a couple that they use in in research that help you sort of get in the practice of writing grants Um, grant writers i think can be pretty expensive so if you can afford it that's fantastic Um, but i i think that there are ways to just do it yourself
0: no, agreed. And I, I mean, I'm always one of those people where I'm like, if you can figure out how to do it yourself, do it. <laughs> yeah. um, it's always a very helpful tool, I think, uh, you know, to kind of come back to and to get back on track as far as like bootstrapping and all that kind of stuff. Um, what are some fears i would say that you ran into because obviously like doing this yourself and your savings i mean if you're anything like me taking out of your savings you're just like oh my goodness i hope this works or like you know it took you forever to save up that money so you're just like oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think um it's very it's terrifying to just
1: watch your bank balance only go down Um, And so if you, if you have the bandwidth, um, I would recommend just for mental peace, you know, just like one or two days a week, if you're able to freelance or consult, um, it will give you some mental, some mental stability. Um, I think that something, so the financial planning and the budgeting upfront helps a lot. Uh, It helped me at least because it helped me understand whether I was hitting or sort of missing my targets every month. And if you have sort of that structure, both in terms of like the costs, are you coming within like a 10, 15% buffer of your costs, or are you way overshooting what you predicted your costs would be? And then on the revenue side, you know, are you sort of, once you launch, are you bringing in the types of sales that you had predicted you would be bringing in, or are you coming in way under. And if you can kind of look at that objectively, you can say, okay, well, according to my financial plan, I was going to break even in six months or nine months or 12 months. So I know I'm roughly in this in, in the range of, of cost and revenue. So I will break even. It might be a month or two later, but I am going to break even. And it just brings a little bit of mental peace.
0: Yeah, no, I can totally understand that. Um, so bootstrapping your own business how and why did you decide to like jump full force into this? Yeah. Oh, I have so many thoughts on this. So i at- <laughs>
1: <You're> like, <laughs> let me count the ways. <laughs> um, look, there's pros and cons with everything. Um, and I have worked at two venture backed companies um, and I have seen the upside of that. You know, you get, you get flush with investment and, um, and you also get some mentorship, depending on who the VCs are that sit on your board. But um, that kind of investment is meant for very specific types of businesses. And when there is a poor fit in, time, in terms of like the type of business and, and the venture funding, it can actually lead to really disastrous results. So I have seen consumer businesses, I'm not gonna call them out by name, but I have seen consumer businesses that decided to take on venture funding and um, the the they were forced to grow much faster than they were ready to grow and that even their customers needed them to grow. And basically they, they grew in an unsustainable way and then they had to shut down because they weren't able to manage the operations of their business. So for me, I knew just very early on that, um, at least at this stage, look, never say never, but at this stage, venture capital is not the way I want to grow my business. I can imagine the conversations and I did have conversations with a couple of venture capitalists early in the game where I said, you know, I'm going after this niche. And the response I got was, well, why would you go after this niche when you could go after the entire U.S. population or, you know, a broader population? Why don't you custom make clothes for every body type rather than just focusing on hourglass shapes, which is a very, you know, it's a growth mindset. It's an idea of like, this is a bigger market. Why are you going after this niche market? But if you understood me and you understood where I'm coming from, you understand why this niche is so important to me and why I just want to cater to women with these, with this curvier shape. So I knew it wasn't a good fit for me. And I was fortunate in that I had enough saved up to where I could launch at least the first collection myself. Um, the cons we've already talked about, it's incredibly terrifying to watch your bank account go down, right? It's always better to be spending to be to have more money backing you than less. Um, one more thing I will say is that um, bootstrapping, at least in the early days, and I, I do recommend it for folks who are doing consumer businesses, makes you really shrewd when it comes to spending money. When it's somebody else's money, and I'll give you, I'll just give you a rough example. So, um, very small thing that all businesses do. They trademark. They trademark their their brand, right? Um, now you can go on and trademark it yourself, or you can hire a lawyer to do it. Um, I had been advised by some friends that it's better to go with a lawyer. Okay. So I, I asked around from, you know, my friends who started companies that are venture backed, I asked them, okay, how much did you pay your trademark lawyer? And I got answers anywhere ranging from 5,000 to $10,000 just to hire the lawyer, just to trademark the company.
0: Oh my goodness
1: but I shopped around and through a connection I was able to get a trademark lawyer for just $500. And so and the trademark was completed successfully and, and that was great. Now if I had been venture backed, would I have really done that extra legwork? Probably not because it's not my money at the end of the day. But when it's your own five, you know, your own $5,000 or $10,000, you think really hard before spending that. Um, so I think it just makes you really diligent in the early days. It makes you really focus on metrics. Like you're really focused on how much money you're spending on marketing. What returns is that driving? Who's visiting your site? How are you converting that traffic? Um, so, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of pros to bootstrapping, at least in the early days.
0: I think it also makes you, um, kind of like what you were saying, like you become really into the details of how you know, things are working, how much it costs, where your money is going. Is it beneficial? And like, let's, let's think about this. You know, when you yourself are involved in the trenches and the actual foundation building and all that kind of stuff, those are the businesses that tend to make it because yes, it may be a little slower to begin with, but you know, your business inside and out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Nobody wants to spend money or like invest in a company where the own founder is, you know, not as well versed in their own company as they feel like they should be. Like I, if I was an investor, I would not want that. I'd be like, please tell me your company inside and out. Like you should know this. Yes. Um, so I, I highly agree with you on that brute strapping process. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Cause you also talked about, you know, focusing in on this niche and how it affects you personally And, um, why is it that it's so hard to find, you know, clothes that fit body types that don't necessarily reach the masses? Yeah.
1: So there's a very interesting, um, history around sizing and, um, and it it dates back to the 1940s. So if you sort of go back to when standardized sizing was developed, it was in the 1940s when they uh, surveyed, I think it was 15,000 women across the US. They went around and they took their measurements um, and they used those to develop, to largely develop the sizes you're seeing today. They made sort of two crucial, at least two crucial mistakes um, in that process. One, they only included the data of Caucasian women and
0: two, And of course, two, and for, the, for those people who do, like, don't see me, I just like rolled my eyes. <laughs> um,
1: and two, um, they, they largely relied on their bust measurement, assuming that they would be proportional in the rest of their body. Um, so you can imagine, first of all, that set of data points was not representative of women even back in the 1940s. It's definitely not representative of women today. Um, and there, has been, there have been some small improvements to that size chart, but by and large, it's, it's very similar to what it was back then. So if you want to innovate on sizing, you have to go back to square one and redo that size chart. Um, and so that's what we did at Om. right? So we, we created a fresh data set of over 300 measurements coming from women who are curvier on the bottom. And then we used those measurements to make our own size chart. Um, And if you, you know, there, there is this sort of um, movement now, I see it in what I call ultra niche brands. So brands that are really focusing on fit in a new way. So you mentioned your petite, um, you know, there's a company called short story box that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, I think they're Y Combinator back to short
0: story box. It's so interesting because it's not until I talk to other people that they're like, oh, you should look at this or, oh, you should try this. And I'm like. I didn't even know these people existed. (laughs) I,
1: I don't know how big they are, but, um, but they, they launched a couple of years ago. Um, and they cater exclusively to petite women. They're, they're like a subscription box. Um, there are brands now that cater just to women with long torsos. Uh, there are brands like me that cater to women with curvier hips and thighs. So, um, there is this sort of, I think there is this renaissance happening within fashion where people are starting to realize that these mass market brands are just not doing it for them. Um, and they want to invest in pieces that just fit better and look better on their
0: bodies. Uh, no, exactly. I mean, I know for me, I have an issue like with the jeans and all, like I always have to buy and then take in to get fit. Like Mm -hmm. whether it's hemmed, whether it's taken in at the waist or whatever, Um, I always and it's like if I have buy dresses, it's like okay, well I buy bigger so that it fits, you know, my chest and my hips, but then I have to go take it in because my waist is like there's no waist; it becomes a muumuu. So I'm like, (laughs) I'm all. I mean, no matter what, I know I have to take dresses and clothes in to get fitted to me especially yeah. if it's like, you know, investment pieces, you know what I mean? If it's just like a t-shirt or whatnot, it's a t-shirt, but you yeah, know, investment pieces definitely should fit your body correctly. Yeah. Um, so where can people start shopping and, and do you just offer trousers right now?
1: Yeah. So we launched with trousers because they seem to be the biggest problem area for women with this body type. Um, and similar to what you just said about investment pieces, people tend to be just more, um, willing to invest and also more loyal to, to, pants brands that they like. I mean, tops, I can pretty much go anywhere and I'm also more flexible in how something fits me on the top, but when it comes to bottoms, I need really good fit. So we did launch with a line of, uh, trousers and you can shop them at our website on the label our Instagram is the same thing at on the label. Um, and yeah, and so it's it's a very tight assortment right now. It's just three designs, two colors each. We're trying to be not wasteful and really just sort of listen to our audience and see what, what designs are resonating with them, what colors are resonating with them before sort of scaling up.
0: Yeah, no. And what are you finding? I mean, I know um, a lot of people are like, okay, well, if I start small, then like, you know, I don't know if we're if we're getting all of what people need, and what if they don't like the style and all. So, what are you finding? Yeah. Um, so, so two things to that, like starting small. I would say um, we did
1: a lot of research upfront before we sort of honed in on these three designs. Um, so, if you are going to have a small, tight assortment, definitely do that upfront research. Um, And we can talk about how to do that research if that's interesting, but um, definitely do that. Um, And then in terms of what we're finding, um, people love the wide leg pant. Um, I think in part it's super trendy right now to have the wide leg, that's like the silhouette that's in this year. Um, and it's also like a universally flattering silhouette, I think if you can get it right. So one of the biggest issues that we heard from customers when we did our research was I'm seeing this wide leg pant silhouette, but because I've got big hips and thighs to me on me, it just looks like a glorified boot cut. Like it gets so tight on the hips that it doesn't look like this flowy bohemian pant that I see all these models wearing. So we had a new size chart and we built a wide leg pant off of that size chart. So now if you have curvy hips and thighs you still get that bohemian flowy look with like your waist snipping rise. So the wide leg pant is our bestseller. We haven't had a single return to date, which is insane for- for And how
0: how long have you um, been up and running?
1: So we're in our third month of operation.
0: Oh, get it girl. So this is still brand new. Yeah, yeah, we launched in April. Oh my gosh. Um, and any words of wisdoms or any reflections? On, on since launch? Like since on- the launch, yeah. Since the inception of the idea, I feel like you've been working on this for a long time if you've done that much research. Yeah, I would say um, pay attention to the
1: customer. I know that people always say that, uh, but it's especially important if you're bootstrapped and if you are in a seasonal business like fashion. So a lot of folks, you know, they'll they launch jewelry businesses or perfume businesses. Those are less seasonal. Um, but with fashion, it's like, you know, it's in for a season or two and then it's out. So you have to really keep a close ear um, on what the customer wants. And that goes with everything from like silhouettes to colors to fabrics to everything. Um, and then the second thing I would say, and this is something, um, you know, unless you have outside investment, you should really take seriously is don't, uh, underestimate the power and value of marketing. Um, and don't, um, you know, don't sort of underestimate how much it's going to cost you on the marketing side to really, you can have the greatest product on the planet. We have a 3% return rate across the board and 0% on the wide leg pant, um, So that is an extremely low return rate for retail. So we have a fantastic product. I feel really confident in the product, but there's no point if people don't know about your brand. So don't underestimate the importance and the value of
0: marketing. And um, just to hit on that for people too, what are you finding works for you in your marketing?
1: Yeah, so because we are such a niche brand, um, Influencer has been really amazing because they can speak really authentically about our product to their audience. Um, And they've also been really relatively easy to source because we can quickly tell if an influencer has the body shape or not. Um, Other things that seem to be working, um, we love partnering with podcasts and blogs like you guys, like folks who are really mission aligned and who understand the vision of the brand. yeah, I think those are sort of the two. We're really trying to focus on sort of niche strategies where we can speak to audiences directly in an authentic way.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so to kind of wrap this up a little bit, um, where can people find you to, to go along with your journey and uh, go ahead and hit where people can go shopping again?
1: Yeah, so you can find us on Instagram at um, the label A A M. T-H-E-L-A-B-E-L. Or you can shop at our website, which is www.omthelabel.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. It was so much fun and I'm really excited to go check out Om. Amazing. Thanks so much.